0: First on film and entertainment, my name's Alex First. Joining me, Peter Kraus. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Dave. And Dave Griffiths. That is G'day, Dave. Good morning to both of you. Now, hang on. If we were going to make a movie about it, would this be an ongoing saga a la Star Wars? I'm talking about the mighty fighting Essendon football machine,
1: Dave. Yeah, is there anybody uh, more controversial that you guys
0: can try and appoint to a position? Hey, listen, it has been a week of front and back page headlines, radio, television. We love the limelight, do we not? You guys, yeah, you certainly do. Yeah, thank you very much. Look, uh, it, <laughs> this is sort of crisis management quadrupled, and I'm just wondering, when, when, when you sort of have a number of crises facing the AFL at the moment. You've got the the ongoing saga created by the Hawthorne report and that I'm not sure where that's going to go. Surely that that's going to be mediated to settlement, will it not? Is that that's the only thing I can think of because if the indigenous Australians who were form well whose whose views were the centerpiece of the original report if they're not going to cooperate by speaking to the four-person, what do they call it, a tribunal or something else that has been assembled, then you're going to get one side only in this review. And that doesn't solve the problem either, does it, Dave?
1: Well, the other question I guess you've got to ask is, uh, will was it Tom Mitchell that came out this week with the allegations that said that he received similar treatment? um. Yes. So he's the
0: first non Indigenous player to say that. Will he testify though? Well, this is the whole thing. I mean, you can't, th- this is not a court of law. You're not going to force somebody to do it, are you? So, no. you know, I, I mean, this needs to be resolved because obviously lives and livelihoods are at stake, as well as the well being, which is the, the centerpiece of this, the well being of players, especially Indigenous Australians. But as you say, they are now not the only ones who have been implicated here.
1: No, and there's a wider circle coming around with this now as well because one of the alleged players to have um, have told his story in the first place will be under one of those new coaches at their new club.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, that 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 bubbles along and more. It's percolating. But the Essendon thing, it, it, I mean, freedom of speech, all of those elements that are surrounding that, I and mean, so I've heard different sides. You know, was it fair what happened to the former NAB chief? Was it the right thing to do when a club professes to be inclusive? Uh, you, you, you might have your own opinion on that, Dave, do you? Well, yeah, I do in
1: a sense because even religion
0: aside,
1: why would they appoint somebody to a position of power when he received such negative feedback when there was an investigation into his time at NAB?
0: Yeah, I, that that certainly struck me as well. Although he, of course, has maintained from the get go that he was incredibly inclusive at NAB, but yes, there was that report, and you can't you can't wash that you can't push that under the table so and beyond that I mean he was charged with appointing somebody to that role and then of course David Barham obviously expressed an interest in him putting his hand up so what I mean is the blood bloodletting at Essendon over that that's the big question I, I don't know I, what you I, don't,
1: I, I don't think it is to be honest
0: hmm. well I mean there are calls now for David Barham to to stand aside so do you think that's going to happen?
1: Oh, I think it has to, in a way, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the, the other thing that didn't happen at Carlton last year is that the whole board should have stood down, uh, a number of people said. Uh, does the whole board, do we have to start again at Essendon? That may be the way to go as well. Yeah. So anyway, that's enough. Peter, you, you're totally absorbed by all of this, aren't you? I can tell. This is well, not I- personified.
2: I will say one thing. I would be totally embarrassed to be part of a football team like Essendon that uh, behaves in this particular way and certainly publicly, and I think the whole AFL is tarnished by everything that's been happening of late. I, I, I just, um, I'm just so
0: saddened by what's going on. Yeah, fair point, fair point. I mean, really, uh, it, it's, if, if this wasn't real, it would be a very, very bad joke. And we are the butt of many, many jokes at the moment. And, you know, we can, I, I can understand why. I just hope that, imagine being a player, right? One of the players who is sitting back and watching all of this unfold. It would not be a pleasant experience. And of course, th- there are lots of memes that are floating around about this. I, I'm just trying to, I, I'm I'm looking at my phone as I'm speaking, because I, I sent a few of these out and they, some of them are genuinely funny. Uh, but they're very sad because did you see the one the shovel do you do you guys follow the shovel at all Dave yes yep yeah there's there's been some beauties Let, let's just put it leave it at that now let's talk about a couple of things i i'm going to start off with something that is not opening yet for a while but i had the good fortune to see and i asked whether i could talk about it and i was told that i could and then we're going to go on to talk about some of the movies and shows that are are out and about at the present time. The Peter, you're aware that the Jewish International Film Festival is just around the corner. Oh, yes, that's right. Right, and do you know the film that is going to open that?
2: Uh, Armageddon uh, time.
0: time Armageddon. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I'm going to give you an early sneak peek at Armageddon time because it is a very, very strong opening night film. It's 1980. It's Queens, New York City. And a couple of sixth graders form an unlikely friendship that causes all sorts of friction. Paul Graff, played by Banks Rapetta, is from a good Jewish family who escaped oppression in Europe. African-American Johnny Davis, played by Jalen Webb, is from a broken home. He's living with his grandmother, who's increasingly ailing. She's suffering from dementia. Paul is a gifted budding artist while Johnny, who is repeating grade six, dreams of a future with NASA. Both fall out with their teacher, whose name is Mr. Turkle Taub, played by Andrew Polk, and the youngsters bond while being prevented from participating in gym with the rest of the class. Paul is particularly close to his grandfather, Aaron Rabinovitz, played by Anthony Hopkins, who's a principled man who thinks the world of his grandson. And enjoys spending time with him. One day, Granddad opens up to Paul about the trauma experienced by his Rabinovitz's mother, that saw her leave the Ukraine and make a new home and life in America. Rabinovitz is the glue that binds this family together. Paul has a much more prickly relationship with his dutiful but overextended mother, Esther and Hathaway. And his plumber, father, Irving, Jeremy Strong. The pair of them have aspirations for Paul that don't match his own desires. As the boys' friendship develops, I'm talking about the two boys that I referenced, both Paul Graff and Johnny Davis, they find themselves increasingly at odds with authority figures. Meanwhile, Rabinowitz encourages Paul to be a mensch, and that's a Yiddish word meaning a person of integrity and honour. It's written and directed by James Gray, who did Ad Astra. Armageddon Time is a deeply personal coming-of-age story, a layered work of fine craftsmanship, and with it, Gray has revisited his own upbringing and created characters that inhabited his formative years. The film is characterised by a series of outstanding performances, starting with newcomers, Repeater and Webb. Now, they've been involved in different productions, but, you know, they're just making a name for for themselves. I had the good fortune to interview the pair of them. Very, very impressive. Very much so. So both inhabit their characters with distinction. There's a vulnerability about them, which is authentic and captivating. Paul is just trying to make sense of a world where he knows he's different from other kids. And Johnny is alienated and hamstrung by racism and poverty. Anne Hathaway. Bravura showing, Knockout, as a mother who's both caring and impatient. And Anthony Hopkins slots comfortably into the role of a grandfather who dishes out worldly wisdom. There there is much about Armageddon time that's emotionally wrought. It's a sensitive film about love and loss, about class, struggle and expectation. Many of the scenes stayed with me long after I exited the theatre. It's a movie that deserves to be seen, and appreciated for its insight into the American dream. So this is something to look forward to, gentlemen, something that, as I say, will open the Jewish International Film Festival and will open in cinemas uh, next month. So, you know, the, the, it's it's one I wanted to talk about because uh, I think it's going to be, well, it'll be interesting to see come Oscar time whether this will be up there. That that I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. Uh, as an, we'll, we'll talk about it again, but I just felt that uh, I wanted to say something about it because it's a, it's a very, very interesting and engaging and sensitive piece of cinema. That is it. Now, let us talk about Smile, which opened last week, but I didn't get to. So genuinely scary and engaging psychological horror movie runs for 114 minutes and is rated M, centred around a hardworking therapist in an emergency psychiatric unit named Dr. Rose Cotter, played by Saucy Bacon. As she's about to leave the facility after a particularly long shift, a young graduate student called Laura Weaver, played by Caitlin Stacy, enters shaking, clearly traumatised. In the past few days, Weaver witnessed one of her professors bludgeon himself to death. And since then, she's been seeing things no one else can. It's a malevolent entity that wears different faces as if they were masks. At times, it pretends to be someone that she knows. Whenever she sees it, it's smiling at her. Not a friendly smile, rather one suggesting something terrible is about to happen. Despite Dr. Cotter's reassurances that nothing bad is going to go down, Weaver's convinced she's about to die, and die she does in front of the psychiatrist. Thereafter, Dr. Cotter herself begins to have terrifying visions. Increasingly, her behaviour is becoming more and more erratic, and that's cause for concern for her live-in fiancé, Trevor, Jesse T. Usher, her older sister, Holly, Gillian Zinser, and her sympathetic boss, Dr. Morgan Desai, played by Cal Penn. In desperation, Dr. Cotter turns to her former police officer boyfriend, Joel, Kyle Galner, for help. As the plot of Smile unfolds, we also get to hear about Dr. Cotter's troubled past. Smile is an auspicious feature film debut for writer and director Parker Finn. It was inspired by a short film titled Laura Hasn't Slept, featuring Caitlin Stacey that he made, Parker Finn, in... 2020. And I reckon with smile, he's created a captivating work of terrifying fiction. It is decidedly creepy. Is it not Dave?
1: Yeah, it's really refreshing as a horror fan to be able to go and see a film that's not part of a a franchise or or a reboot or anything like that. And it's refreshing to see a young director coming through and really announcing himself as a, a great future in horror filmmaking. So yeah, this is a great film. I, I went into this not knowing what to expect. Of course, they've been doing this great advertising campaign in the US. If you've watched any US sports over the last couple of weeks, you've probably seen these creepy people in the audience doing the smile. They've been placed there by the marketing team for this film deliberately. And this film works. That's uh, one of the things that really hit me with this film. There's so many horror films out there these days that don't work. This film works. It goes back to that and feel of something's out of your control, um, but it's really happening and nobody believes you.
0: Um, brilliant horror film. I really, really loved it. Mm, an increasing sense of desperation, a feeling of no escape possible permeates this screenplay. There's no let up in the action. And we, the audience, feel the impact of the ordeal on Dr. Cotter. I, I reckon it really benefits from a strong starring role by Saucy Bacon, she channels vulnerability and fear with distinction Peter and she does most of the heavy lifting in the film doesn't she
2: she does look it is quite an effective uh, horror film although it does work on familiar tropes um from other uh, similar sorts of horror films but it does have a freshness to it uh especially the way the jump scares are placed um, in the narrative yes look it, it's well produced and well made um and I, I think I had only a small issue with the resolution uh, of the film, but that's that's another story. But overall, it it is a good, uh, effective, well-plotted, well-made horror film, uh, and, yes, I, I think Parker Finn uh, is probably a filmmaker to watch.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, and the cinematography by Charlie Sarov and the lighting uh, certainly aid the cause Use of light and shade, I thought was really impressive. and and so too, the menacing soundscape. The music is by Christabel Tapia de Veer. I, I can't say i've I've come across Christabel Tapia de Vere before, but again, I thought the soundscape was was excellent. This really, for me, was a complete package in a genre where when you think about it, quite a number of movies pull up short. I did not think this one did. Horror is a difficult thing to get right, and I reckon this one gets it spot on, Dave.
1: Yeah, it does. And it's also good to see um, Caitlin Stacey back on the big screen. She's an Australian actor who started her career in Neighbours, and she kind of disappeared after she did Tomorrow When the War Began. So it's good to see her back on the screen again because she is a, a talented young actress, and hopefully this means that her Hollywood career will kick off. But also, as you said, uh, Saucy Bacon is Kevin Bacon's daughter. She does a magnificent job in this film as well.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, we, I mentioned before that the, the actress that you mentioned, the Australian actress, she made a short in 2020, and, and look, at, look at where it's led. I, I, the interesting thing, I, I, we didn't have a, a preview of this one. Uh, I reckon this was absolutely a movie that could and should have been previewed. Uh, you know, it's a they they previewed it in Sydney, but they didn't preview it in Melbourne. I'm not going to hold that against them because they... They sent me a couple of tickets to go and see it on opening day, and I'm really, really pleased that I did because um, it is something special. So it's called Smile. Uh, It's rated M, 114 minutes in duration. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10, Dave, and you?
1: Yeah, I'm giving it 8 out of 10 as well.
0: Now, Peter, by the way you've spoken, you're not going to give it an 8.
2: No, no. I, th- I think I had a, a few little issues with the last part of the narrative, but nevertheless, I, I think it's good and i give it 7 out of 10.
0: Okay, well, that's still a decent score. Dave, uh, you weren't with us last week. Don't Worry Darling, we've spoken about, which opens this week, but we gave it a, a one-week-ahead-of-time uh, preview I'd be interested in your views. I, I'll just mention that it's got much in common with The Stepford Wives. It's an rated movie, runs for two hours and three, women, three minutes. Uh, Stepford Wives with Nicole Kidman came out in 2004, and really it's sort of this seemingly picture-perfect society, anything but, and women trapped in a sham environment. We've got Florence Pugh. We've got Harry Styles. They're a couple of the, the stars of the piece along with Chris Pine. So what did you think? It, by, by the way, I mean, the director is Olivia Wilde, uh, who also features in this movie, and the, the screenwriter is Katie Silberman. Now, both Wilde and Silberman work together on a really clever comedy called Book Smart That gives a bit of context to it all. What did you think of Don't Worry Darling, Dove? Yeah,
1: look, I found this to be interesting because a, a lot of what I've read about this film and, and where it goes wrong seems to be centered at Olivia Wilde, and I don't think that's the case. I think the problem here was solely with the screenplay. Um, I thought this started off as a really, really interesting film. It, it drew me in. I was kind of interested in this world that that Alice and Jack live in. I was interested in what uh, Frank Chris Pine's character was actually doing. Was he was he sus or Was it all legit? This film, though, falls apart for me about three quarters of the way through, and it feels to me like the screenwriter didn't know how to answer a lot of the questions that people would have had about the world that she had created with this film. By the end of the film, the person that was sitting next to me was actually saying to me what scenes, different scenes, what movies they were taken from. (laughs) Um, And and I could see that. It was The Matrix, Disturbing Behaviour, Stepford Wives, the Truman Show, it, was, it really felt like one of those movies where I, I quite often mention in my reviews a screenwriter lost control of the film. They either didn't know how to end the film um, with an ending that would have explained everything or they didn't know those answers to begin with like the creators of the television series Lost admitted. At one point they admitted that they were hoping that the show would get axed so they didn't have to write a finale because they didn't know how to end it. I felt that was the case here as well. But having said that, Olivia Wilde, I think, does a good job with this film. It looks great.
0: Um, well, it looks wonderful. No yeah, her better. direction
1: is not the problem with this film. This film also, to me, shows that Florence Pugh is going to be a future Oscar winner. I think we've already known that from some of the other films that she's done, but that cemented it um, for me. I was also kind of impressed with Harry Styles in this as well. Um, I know there was a lot of um negative press about the way that he was cast in this film um but I thought he did a a kind of admirable job with the with the role that he had but I thought it had a very weak finale that didn't answer any of the questions that I had when I was watching the film so yeah if it if the film could have had a better ending I think it would have been a lot better film
0: yeah it's it's funny my my views correlate with yours because I mean I thought that Uh, Florence Pugh was just fantastic, Uh, really manifesting her characters, increasing unease with distinction, and and she seamlessly changed mood. And I I also thought Harry Styles oozed dutiful charm, which is what his role called upon him to do. So that was very, very good. And, boy, synthetic perfection, so well captured by the cinematographer, Matthew Libertique. I mean, really, really good. So, you know, I I also thought it was an intriguing, good-looking mystery thriller that did not need to be two hours and three minutes long, though, Dave.
1: No, definitely. That, that, going back to Harry Styles, that scene in the car where um, his character Jack loses his temper at Alice, I found that to be very um, similar to the acting style that a young Leonardo DiCaprio had in films like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Um I, I know that a lot of people out there don't like him because of the background that he came from with um, – with his singing career. But I actually think that if he is around the right actors and gets the right directors, he could potentially become a James Dean kind of actor um, Mm. because he's got that coolness about him. Um, It'll just come down to whether he chooses the right roles and whether he uh, works with the right directors and the right actors in Hollywood.
0: I can see where you're going with that. I really can. So give me a score out of 10 for Don't Worry Darling. M-rated 123 minutes.
1: Um, I'm going to give it 6.5 out of 10. I thought this this could have been a really, really good film, but uh, when you start borrowing off other films to try and finish off a film, you're in a lot of trouble as a
2: screenwriter.
0: Well, I gave it a 6.5. Peter, do you remember what you gave it last week?
2: Yes, I did. It, it, I think the screenplay is, uh, needed uh, another draft, um, 5 out of 10.
0: Right, okay. Well, let's go from there to another movie that opened this week, which is called Amsterdam. And it's a lovely city to visit. Have either of you been there? By the way, no, no. Ah, well, I can commend it to you. And it, it, it's it's interesting. What I'll ask ask this of both of you: Do do you know why it was called Amsterdam? Obviously, one of the scenes, a pivotal scene, is set there. But I, I it could have been called something else, couldn't it? Uh,
2: I suppose so. Yes. It, it no, is... no. But
0: do you think it's appropriate? That's uh, that, I'm, that's what I'm asking. Uh... Well, what else would you like to call it? uh, Again, without giving you a specific, uh, it didn't need to necessarily be positioned as that particular city. Uh, Dave, what did you think?
1: I thought it worked because the characters were all their happiest when they
0: were in Amsterdam. That's true, yeah. And they were all looking for that happiness again. Yep, that valid. Okay, so it's MA rated, runs for two hours and 14 minutes. Uh, All star cast, headlined by Christian Bale. What a, what a cast in this! Wow, Christian Bale. He features in what is a historic dramatic comedy. He is a disfigured, half Jewish, half Christian doctor named Bert Berenson. He fought alongside Harold Woodman, played by John David Washington, in the Great War. Both were injured. They were patched up in France by a caring nurse and a ghoulish artist. Yes, you can be both. Valerie Vose, played by Margot Robbie, who is a wonderful actor and looks sensational in Amsterdam. I mean, a brilliant actor, really, really brilliant. I, I just love seeing her on screen. The trio became inseparable and, because of Vose's connections, traveled to Amsterdam, where they lived a bohemian lifestyle. By then, Vose and Washington had. Sorry, it's not Washington. It's actually Vose and 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 Woodman had fallen in love. But Berenson missed his wife, and there, his wife, played by Andrea Riseborough, and her name is Beatrice in the movie. So having missed the wife, even though the wife has treated him badly, Berenson returns home to the United States. Circumstances will also see those disappear. So suddenly she is literally out of frame. Twelve years later, with Berenson practising as a doctor, Washington, sorry, keep saying Washington, Woodman a lawyer, the three would unexpectedly cross paths again. This time Berenson and Woodman are in trouble. They're trying to clear their names after being framed for murder. What really happened goes to an understanding of the nefarious ends that a shadowy organisation named the Committee of Five would stoop to. Unpicking it all involves Vose's well-to-do family, which includes her controlling sister-in-law Libby, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. She's got very unusual eyes, I've got to say, and brother Tom, Rami Malik. Also featuring a Zoe Saldana as an autopsy nurse, Mike Myers and Michael Shannon as spies, and Robert De Niro as a fated retired general. Talk about a great cast, as I said at the outset. The man behind the bold concept is Academy Award nominated writer and director, David O. Russell, who made American Hustle. Very complicated story, many threads, it requires concentration to follow, never a dull moment in what becomes a movie rooted in political conspiracy. The settings are varied from the destitute to the fashionable. I thought the, the acting, the dialogue are top shelf, giving latitude to showcase the supreme talents involved in this production. I, I really love the passion, the energy shown by Bale and Robbie in their full on characterizations, Peter.
2: Absolutely. Look, the nub of this film is uh, a true story about uh, a, a group of uh, businessmen in the 1930s mm. who, who wanted to overthrow. Uh, Roosevelt and the uh, uh, government uh, at the time, which was a a left-leaning sort of government, I suppose. Uh, So what was so impressive about this film is that the interweaving of stories about that about the personal characters uh, that are developed in the storyline, um, the the issue of, in a sense, the red herring that Amsterdam is, which uh, doesn't uh, give away, uh, in terms of its title, what the real story is all about, which I which, which I think is is uh, quite valid, and the uh, terrific cast. I must admit, I was amused at one stage when Chris Rock went up on on the stage to uh, to talk to the uh, to everyone around him. I was expecting a cameo from Will Smith, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you've got but, a uh, sense of humour, haven't you? Oh, I okay. do. But but it, that was slapped down very quickly, I suppose, by the screenplay. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, this this is a really impressive, well constructed film that. Uh, deals with at the heart of it uh, an issue that has uh, resonances with Trump uh, today and that's what I liked about the political uh, connections that the film was making in the 30s and in the present day. So overall a uh, great cast, very impressive film.
0: But look there were problems with it notwithstanding the positives that I spoke about it outstayed its welcome. It became too caught up its own, in its own complexities and. I thought it was too clever by halves. It didn't need to be two and a quarter hours long and it lost momentum in the third act. Less would have been more. It's good looking, it's highly adventurous, it pushes many of the right buttons, but it didn't come together as well as it could have, Peter.
2: Uh, Look, I don't agree. I, I think it, it was actually uh, a very good storyline that took its time, but I'd have no problem with that. Uh, I think running times of films
0: are not It's not, not really... about the running time. It's about the script. And, and that's Yeah, I've said well, and I, I don't it wasn't an issue for me. It was not an issue. Okay. What about for you, Dave?
1: No, I didn't find that an issue. The only thing I found an issue was there's a pretty glaring plot hole in there at one point that... Um, yeah, if one of my first-year screenwriting students handed that in, I would have uh, said to them, um, go and fix that up before I pass you. But um, to me, I found it an interesting film, and I find it interesting what people are saying about this film. Everybody's comparing it to Wes Anderson, um, which I think is unfair because Wes Anderson is Wes Anderson and nobody else is Wes Anderson.
2: Um, no,
0: but, but I mean, there's a quirkiness to it. There, there certainly is.
1: Yeah, but that just means that David O. Russell has written a quirky script. I don't think he needs to be con- compared to a guy who's basically created his own genre. I, I like the humour of this film. I thought there was times throughout this film where humour was a great way of um, getting across the points that Russell was making. I actually really applaud Russell for the way that he touches on so many sensitive topics um, in this film, from um, mental illness through to... Um, racial relationships but does it in such a way that you never feel like you're being preached at as an audience um but it's there for you to take notice of i love the characters that he's created you mentioned uh mike myers and michael shannon's Mm -hmm. characters you almost want a spin-off movie of of (laughs) theirs or a tv
0: series or something um A a buddy a buddy type film yeah
1: yeah all of his characters come together so well um the the only fault that I had with the movie is, like I said, is that one plot point where I was like, are you kidding? Have you forgotten about a scene earlier? The rest of the film worked wonderfully for me.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, look, um, I'm going to give it a lower score than you guys then. What are you scoring it, Dave? Uh, I'm going to give it 7.5 out of 10. I I know I shouldn't be harsh on things
1: like that, but, yeah, I just find it really weird that such a huge plot hole could
0: find its way through to the film Yeah, and the we can't, can't really say what that plot No. Was. So, you know, we're, we're going to be a bit sensitive about that. What about you, Peter?
2: Uh, look, I really enjoyed the film and uh, watched the roving eyeball <laughs> in the film. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but uh, no, I really liked it and I thought that it worked really well and I gave it 8 out of 10.
0: Wow, okay. So I'm going to lowball this, guys, compared to to what you've you've done. I'm giving it a six and a half to seven. And that's because I did have some struggles with it. And I I, w- I really wanted to like it more. I, I, I'm not in any way suggesting that it isn't worth seeing. It is. And, I again, it shows – I mean, the acting talent is about as good as you've seen in a film for a long, long time. So it's MA rated, 134 minutes, and it is called Amsterdam. So go along and see that one. The um, the other thing we should talk about is a lot of plays and theatre and all that sort of stuff today. I, I'm I'm going to last night. Last night I went along and saw Romeo and Juliet. Now, I mean, we've seen movie adaptations of this. We've seen. Uh, have you seen it on on stage as well, uh, Dave? Have you? I
1: have. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I, I can't. In, in in all your time, is there a more powerful story? I, it's just. It's a phenomenal story, isn't it? It really is. And, and in whatever form you see it, it still touches the heartstrings. And I, that's what I, I really like about it. And this is something very, very special. Romeo and Juliet at, at the, Australian, the Australian Ballet has put it on. We're lucky because we've got it first in Melbourne at the Arts Centre and then it's going to go to Sydney in December. And I should say about it that after a 19-year hiatus, 19 years this emotion charged highly acclaimed production by a choreographer called John Cranko takes center stage and it's got power it's got passion it's got playfulness it introduces a new generation of the Australian ballet dancers and they're headlined by Callum Lane and Shani Spencer in the lead roles that was on opening night i i um i thought it was really something special and when i say opening night i think i said last night it would have been the night before it, it's a knockout. The virtuosity and engagement in the performances make it a night to savour. Sergei Prokofiev's magnificent score, which lays out the story of young love and tragedy, is as masterful as it gets. It, it's timeless. It's beautiful. There's a guest conductor called Jonathan Lowe, brings out the very best of Orchestra Victoria. The opening with the carefully choreographed sword fighting in the marketplace in Verona sets the scene for the tumult that will follow. The the feud between the Montagues and the Capulets is on full display as these star-crossed young lovers fight for the right to be together forever. Lenain's strength and dexterity is the perfect counterpoint to Spencer's grace. They're the the two lead characters I mentioned, or the the actors. Uh, the the ballet, uh, the the balletic performances, really phenomenal. They are outstanding together, and there, there are various casts uh, that you get with the Australian ballet production. Adam Bull impresses as the hot-headed Tybalt, as does Brett Chenoweth as the volatile Mercutio. And there's a certain strut about the noble Paris played by Christopher Rogers Wilson, the man chosen for Juliet to wed. I also appreciated the fussiness of Therese Power as Juliet's beloved nurse and, and loyal companion. A lot of light and shade in the production of Romeo and Juliet. It plays out with a couple of intervals, So I think it's 50 minutes and then something like 35 or 40 and then 35 or 40 again. The celebratory environment in the marketplace at the start of Act Two is a case in point. There's merriment aplenty with with colourful, harlequin-like costuming, hand-clapping and tomfoolery. That, of course, is the sharpest of contrasts to the angst and heartbreak that brings this classical work to its inevitable conclusion. Balcony scene, tender and passionate, Jürgen Rose's costume and set designs, Delight. And if there's one opera, one opera, one ballet, you should see it's Romeo and Juliet. It's enthralling. It is an enthralling experience and it's playing at State Theatre Arts Centre, Melbourne. A lot of love in the room as there well should be for Romeo and Juliet, playing in Melbourne at the Arts Centre until the 19th of October. So you still have plenty of time to see it. And I would- you to go along and see it,
2: Alex. Just a question: How do they do it without dialogue?
0: Well, that, I mean, they. What, you, what you, It unlike opera where there's surtitles, right? Where you're reading with ballet, you get the. I, I know this sounds silly, but you get the gist through the acting, right? And and you really do. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't read anything about it, right? I mean, okay, I've seen various versions. But I then read it afterwards. That's what I tend to do. Most people don't what what happens is there is a you can download the, the the synopsis. As you enter the theater, it's a really good question on your part, Peter. As you enter the theater, the whole synopsis is laid out for you, right on screens. And you can download the, this as well, the the full synopsis and it, it goes through the various acts, right? So um, y- y- you can and, and there are n- numerous scenes. But it goes through in quite some detail as to what what the story is all about. But I, I mean, I, I think that's the challenge also, where do you want to read all about it before you go in? I'm somebody like if I go on if I go on holidays, I don't want to have seen everything there is to see about, I don't know, let's say the Arc de Triomphe. I want to actually see see it. I don't want to see uh, everything there is to see about India on YouTube. I want to see it for real. So, do you want to read about something, and will it aid your understanding? It probably will. But I'm somebody who I want to experience something in all its grandeur. And for me, it's not about reading it; it's about seeing the the performers on stage doing what they do. How how do you feel? I mean, you haven't got have you ever gone to ballet or not, Peter?
2: No, I haven't. But uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine. I, I understand the way you've described it, but but mm. if we go back to the original Shakespeare, so much of it is dialogue driven, uh, mm. and I know that we are also familiar with the story. And yet, uh, I would probably be wrestling with the with the notion of uh, something that's presented without dialogue um, uh, that we're supposed to interpret from the way the uh, the dancers are uh, mm. performing.
0: Yeah, yep. I don't. I don't know. Well, it's interesting also the, the realistic, the sword fighting was absolutely sensational. How they choreographed that. It wasn't just a little tap here and a little tap there, I assure you. It was, you know, like, uh, I mean, if you were seeing a swashbuckling adventure, uh, that's, what, that's what I was thinking of while I was watching this. Dave, have you seen ballet or not?
1: I have. Actually, when I was doing, um, when I studied drama, I actually had to put together, it wasn't ballet, but I had to put mm-hmm. together an interpretive dance, based on either a film or theatre. So I know how hard that is to actually get the story across without doing any dialogue or delivering any dialogue at all. So, yeah, I've always enjoyed going and uh, watching productions like this where they where they do that for like a full 90 minutes, not just a 10-minute piece like we had to do.
0: Exactly. Well, how do you feel about Do you read about something like this before you go or do you not?
1: Ah, uh, no, not normally. Um, it would be interesting for me to see Romeo and Juliet because um, Shakespeare is one of my favourite writers, so I've read everything that he's ever written. Um, yeah, so I'd probably get more out of it this time because I would know the story back to front. But no, I haven't in the past when I've gone to see
0: something. Mm, okay, well, I would highly commend it to you. I mean, I really, I, it, it's it's um, Nadine, my wife, really enjoyed it as well, and. The people around me I mean theres this glowing in their praise uh, which is which is terrific now uh, this is a difficult one to talk about because it's now it's now finished I dare say it'll come back it finished last night but uh, it's something that I really like and, and I'm going to ask both of you about this in principle uh, the when you when you really like a particular writer, and you like the work of a writer, and then you go along and you see something, and you're disappointed. Has that happened to either of you, Peter? Uh,
2: yes, uh, I mean, if we're talking about film,
0: uh, matter. I'm, tra- I'm, yeah. I'm just talking about in print because I, I went along expecting this to be as good as everything else that I'd seen of a particular writer, and I ended up being disappointed. And that—that—that's what I'm getting at.
2: Well, you're always going to have a personal response, a, 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 a idiosyncratic re, re, reaction to something. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, people will have different opinions.
0: Well, I'm trying to remember. on uh, Son D. Who's the Who's the writer? I've gone blank. Do you, do you remember the film? I thought that was my film of the year, On Son D. Um, or Incendies, as some people call
2: oh, it. Oh yes, yes, yes. Is that Denis Villeneuve? Yeah,
0: or? it is Denis Villeneuve. Well done. Now, yeah. okay. So I mean, I, I saw On Sunday. It blew me away. One of the one of the, the the finest films I've ever seen, and I mean that. I just incredible, just really disturbing, but but brilliantly done. And I kind of he built an expectation in me. Now I, he he's lived up to that for me. But Dave, what about you? What about your experiences in in the same regard?
1: Yeah, look, I have fa- a favorite writers and and favorite directors, and yeah, occasionally they, they let, let you, you down? down. Yeah, something like. Uh, novelists are a big one for me. There's, uh, I love Alex Garland as a novelist. Um, I've actually travelled to different countries just because he's written about it in a book, and I've wanted to see it for myself. And yeah, every now and then he delivers a dud of a book or a screenplay. So yeah, I've been there.
0: Well, okay, I'm talking about Every Man and His Dog at Theatre Works Explosives Factory. There's two theatre works. This is the new one, and the the biggest problem with Explosives Factory is that it's cavernous and. There's no – there's only a few – I mean, it's relatively small in terms of number of seats, but it, it, there's no tiering whatsoever. So, in other words, if you're sitting behind somebody and another person, it's hard to see the people on stage, right? That 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 I've always thought is uh, a bit problematic. Anyway, you've got Dr John Everyman, because it's Everyman and his dog, played by Dennis Cord, a retired, much-loved GP, lost his wife Sophia when – She was just 59, and she was taken away 13 years ago. He hasn't been able to fill that void. To this day, he rages at God for the theft of his beloved wife. He calls it an act of divine spite. And he met his wife when they were both at school, right? So they were school kids together. His overarching philosophy in life is to do no harm. And yet he acknowledges the only way that can be fulfilled is not to care. So John has never been a dog person. Still, six months after the traumatic episode with Sophia, one of his three children gifted him a golden retriever. The animal was to have been a guide dog. It failed to make the grade because the dog was too affectionate, too easily distracted, and too easy to please. It's This animal is known only as dog, and he's been a, a companion for John ever since, although John's still unsure how he really feels about the canine. John's narrative is about life with all its vicissitudes, about his wife, his dog, his dog walker, the happier moments and the concerning ones. Although it is essentially a sad tale, the script by Ron Elisha includes amusing episodes. Elisha himself maintains that due to certain childhood experiences, he's always been somewhat standoffish with dogs. And as I said at the outset, although I'm usually a big fan of Elisha, I found every man and his dog hard going. It lacked spark. I thought the 60 minutes was, was largely laboured and mundane. I really struggled with it. I mean, who wants to hear about everyday life as it's presented here? While lots of words are spoken, as much as I wanted to be, I just was not engaged. And although the play did pick up a tad in the last act, I didn't care enough about what I was seeing and hearing. The production needed to grab me early on. It did not. I was bored, and I frequently looked at my watch. That's a really bad sign, especially when it's only 60 minutes. The pacing was too slow throughout. The direction was from Denny Lawrence. On stage with actor Cord was this beautiful-looking dog. I am a dog person. That dog was meant to stay still for most of the play. Frequently it didn't. Mind you, asking a pooch to stay put for that length of time with people all around it, well, boy, oh boy, is that challenging. I mean, I reckon they could have done this without a dog. They they could have referred to the dog without the dog being there. It, it almost became a prop. And as for Cord, he was personable. He tried hard, but forgot his lines more than once. He stumbled over a few words here and there. It was also too softly spoken. I mentioned the cavernous nature of the explosives factory. It made him hard to hear on occasions. At the start of the play, the noise of the heating all but drowned him out until that heater was turned off. And I'm not kidding. And at various junctures, the rain on the roof didn't help either. So it should have been at a different venue. In summary, every man and his dog needed tightening and more compelling anecdotes from Ron Elisha. I regard it as a work in progress that could be vastly improved. As I mentioned, it finished last night. I wanted to mention it simply because you know, I, I suppose I'm being more savage about this than I usually am with my reviews, but it just turned me off and that's disappointing. So, you know, I I don't know what more I can say. I, I really like Ron Elisha as a writer and I think he's capable of re-engineering this with, with stronger anecdotes and making it something that is well worth seeing. So there you go. Uh, and I mean, anything else that you guys can add to my experience is about disappointment with regards to any production anything that you want to say dave
1: i don't know like i said i think alex garland is the one for me that that where it's happened in the past where i've picked up a book or something and read it and it's almost felt like he hasn't written it like it's just so different from what he's done before the same with his screenplays i find that um In the beginning, his screenplays were always brilliant. If you saw Alex Garland's name on something, you would know that it was going to be something great. But in the more recent years, it feels like there's been a couple of his uh, films that have come out that he's written or directed where I
0: could have taken it or or left it by the end. Mm. Now, I want to talk about Cyrano, the MTC production, because this is something mighty special. Massive triumph. MTC production of the season, as far as I'm concerned, South Bank Theatre the Sumner, really talented cast, headlined by the writer and star Virginia Gay. And she proves that the pen is mightier than the sword. It's a contemporary rewrite of the classic play by Edmund Rostand about a French army soldier and gifted poet with a particularly large schnoz, enamoured by his cousin. Now we've seen we've seen this, haven't we? Quite a bit.
1: Yeah.
2: Many times uh, in uh, films, American, French, and
0: so on, yes. Yeah, and a musical,
2: have. And a musical recently too.
0: Mm, that's right. And we've seen Roxanne, when did that come out with, with Steve Martin? Oh, in the 80s,
2: 87 yeah. or something like that, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that's the cousin, a beautiful, talented, intellectual. Cyrano, of course, is encumbered by his proboscis uh, in his quest to woo her. Uh, he fears rejection because of his ugliness. And instead he ends up aiding the pursuits of a simple-minded but handsome cadet named Christian who's, I mean, he's he's really unable and unwilling to tell Roxanne the truth about how he feels. And in this MTC outing, gentlemen, the piece is turned on its head. The modern Cyrano is a woman who does not suffer fools gladly. So they're re- everything's being rewritten. I mean, I don't mind that, but it, it's kind of interesting that, that, that there is, I mean, it's interesting from this perspective. I'm seeing more productions now than I've ever seen with gay themes. Have you noticed that, gentlemen?
2: Uh, I, if we're talking about stage, no, because I'm, uh, no,
0: I'm talking about. Well, there, there, there's a movie called Bros that's, that we're about to see, which yes. is mainstream. I think it's great. I don't don't have a problem with it. But it's it's interesting that it's like flavor of the month. Have you have you not noticed that, Dave?
1: Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, even in like um, TV series and things like that, it's um, yeah, but, in- yeah. Like you said, I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think
0: it's a terrific thing. But uh, it, it's interesting that suddenly the switch has been turned on, and now everybody's. I've seen some brilliant players. Absolutely, I, I, I saw another one called Holding the Man uh, this week, which was just m- fabulous. Uh, and uh, we, you probably saw the film. Did you not Holding the Man? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, really good. On stage, terrific. But anyway, let's get back to to Cyrano. Uh, So basically she's somebody who doesn't suffer fools gladly. She cuts down anyone who dares challenge her by outwitting them and pushing her buttons are members of the ensemble. There's this show pony with tickets on himself, played by Robin Goldsworthy, champions the several characters that he claims to play. Another is much more measured, Milo Hartill, voice of reason. And then there's the no-name timid woman, Holly Austin plays her, who's readily pushed aside, who cows in fear at Cyrano's vitriol. Notably, in Virginia Gay's adaptation of the story, Cyrano is gay and the climax has been upended. And it's brilliant. It really is. It's a hilarious farce. It's bold, it's energetic, it's rib tickling, laughs are plenty, a couple of compelling musical numbers. And I mentioned Hartel. She's really noteworthy as a singer as well as an actor. There's even a short dance interlude in Cyrano. A lot has been thrown at it, and it does work a treat. It's so clever. The writing is just sharp, it's cutting. Performances are superb. Gay acts up a storm. Immaculate delivery, impeccable comic timing, a masterclass of showmanship. Dare I say, she is poetry in motion. And look, she's far from alone in impressing. Supporting cast don't miss a beat either. Tully Narkel brings enviable light and shade to Roxanne. Hartel, we've mentioned, showcases her all-round vocal skills as well as her acting chops. And Goldsworthy's hyperbole is a winner. Facial expressions and body movement are two of the keys to Austin's successful characterization. Then you've got Claude Jabor skillfully straddling the requirements of a fated Adonis with a decidedly stunted vocabulary. He plays the muscle-bound yarn drawn from the name Christy Arn. There's a set designer called Elizabeth Gadsby. She's made much of a backstage setting, brought to the front of house. Great direction, marvellous direction from Sarah Goods. musical direction from Zani Kolak. I reckon this is one of MTC's finest works. Cyrano, well worth rushing to see. The talent involved is top shelf. Playing at South Bank Theatre, the Sumner, until the 29th of October. So it's one of those that keeps coming back. I mentioned Romeo and Juliet at the very start. As as a frequented uh, production, so is Cyrano de Bergerac. So, you know, all of us have got afflictions. Some people have got bigger noses than others. That's just the way it is. That's the way of the world. That's how we were born. So that was that. And uh, as I mentioned, there's some really good productions going on Mel, uh, Red Red Stitch Theatre, Melbourne Theatre Company. You've also got um well Chapel off Chapel is sort of it, it's just such a great venue for theatre, and and you can actually park there now. They've taken a year or more to get the car parking uh, re redone, and uh, it's good. It's really really good. So folks, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there to see when it comes to whether it be film or theatre, exhibitions are plenty. There was a my, my wife went to see a Van Gogh exhibition at the, uh, I think it was at MSAT. Uh, really, really good too. I, I haven't seen it. I'm hoping to see it. I think last day is tomorrow. Have either of you seen that, the Van Gogh exhibition? No. No? No? Okay. So, again, it, there's just so much happening in Melbourne. Uh, the, the place is buzzing again. It's, um, it, it's interesting that uh, officially this week uh, the Premier has declared that uh, the, the, the emergency is over. Uh, is that a good or a bad thing? I'm not sure, but there's an election around the corner, isn't there, Dave?
1: There is. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. Cause I think we all know that COVID is still out there, but for the mm. first time, I think in months and months and months, I actually don't know anyone that's got it at the moment. Oh, you, you shouldn't
0: speak. You, you can speak like that. One of our best friends got it yesterday. Oh no. Yeah. So, uh, and again, I, I haven't spoken to her. She sent a text, so um, hopefully she'll recover quickly. We are at the end of the program once again. Dave Griffiths, thank you so much for joining us. And Uh-oh. Peter with uh, your views and mine weren't too disparate today, so have you yeah. been taking happy pills?
2: <laughs> I smiled a lot.
0: Ah, very good indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, we can end on that note. I mean, if you haven't seen horror before, yeah, this one's pretty chilling, but it's a damn good film. Go and see Smile. You've been listening to First on Film and Entertainment.